Okay. Welcome and bon appetit. Um, thank you for coming. Uh, today we have um, uh, the first of a small series of talks and lectures and collaboration between the Merchant Center and the, the Center for Latin American Studies on the, uh, I don't remember what is the title of the series anymore. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> okay, there you have it. Because we discussed, well, what could be the best title, you know, for this series, a small series on problems, you know, hot problems on Latin America, <laughs> contemporary problems on Latin America. And uh, so we, we, we decided to invite a few very selected people to uh, bring us, uh, bring to us uh, the, 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 the latest uh, in the research and the investigations and the thinking about some major, major problems going on in Latin America today. Uh, so we, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to start with series uh, introducing uh, to you Luis Astorga. Uh, it's his first time in Columbus and probably, and I hope, will be the last one. Um, <laughs> And uh, we start uh, a, 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 a long, what could be a, a collaboration. Uh, Luis uh, is a researcher at the Institute of Social, Social Research at the Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico. When uh, I was, uh, we were, we were tour, touring campus and we were talking about the, the comparisons between sizes and, and, and beauties between the, the different, uh, the two campuses, and um, but he's a liar, so uh, he didn't he didn't tell me all the truth about it. Uh, um, he has uh, researched extensively for many many years on uh, the drug uh, drug trafficking and drug culture in Mexico, and has published several books and innumerable articles on the topic. Uh, some of the books are uh, Mitología del Narcotraficante in, in Mexico, Drug Traffickers, Mythology in Mexico, published in 1995, uh, El Siglo de las Drogas, uh, published in two, 1996, originally in and then republished, uh, Drogas Sin Fronteras, Drugs Without Borders in 2003, and uh, Seguridad Traficantes y Militares in 2007. Um, so, without further ado, I um, please join me to welcome Luis Astorga. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you very much for this uh, invitation. 
Did you hear? Okay. okay. Uh, what I'm going to talk about uh, today is uh, about the uh, economy of uh, drug trafficking in Mexico, uh, how Mexico is placed in the whole the drug uh, business, and uh, I'm going to talk about drug trafficking organizations and uh, their link to uh, politics in Mexico and the changes that had been uh, 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 the changes in the uh, political field and the changes in the drug trafficking field and the relationship between both uh, fields in, uh, in Mexico. Okay. Mexico is the second uh, cannabis producer in the world after Morocco. Uh, those are the numbers of hectares cultivated with cannabis in uh, 2008 and 2009. And according to uh, the most recent figures, uh, there has been a, uh, a rise in the uh, production of, of cannabis and uh, poppy. Mexico is the third poppy cultivate, uh, cultivator in the world after Afghanistan and Myanmar. And uh, these are the number of hectares. Well, the number of hectares produced with the cannabis and the poppy uh, is due to the, uh, the role that the Mexican army is, uh, is doing right now. There are more in some uh, urban places than in, uh, in rural areas. Uh, Mexico is the uh, principal transshipment uh, country for cocaine coming from the uh, Andean countries, especially uh, Colombia, uh, Bolivia, and Peru. And according to the International Narcotics Control Strategy report from the United States, uh, the internal consumption of drugs in Mexico is uh, are these figures. 2.5 million Mexicans have used drugs in their lives, and 600,000 are uh, dependent consumers. This is not exactly what uh, the recent, well, the, la the latest uh, national survey uh, on addictions have shown in Mexico. Uh, we have some other figures, and uh, the United States government hasn't said how they got these figures. They are more, uh, they are lower than the Mexican figures. Okay. Uh, Mexico is a methamphetamine producer also, and, uh, well, we were trying to get some uh, and medicine for my uh, uh, allergy uh, before we, we came here, and uh, we didn't find it at the CVS. Uh, they used to have it about a week ago. And why? Because the, pre the chemical precursor of the, one of these uh, 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 these things are um, uh, what do you call ephedrine? Um, so the ephedrine. So uh, people like me with allergies have a lot of problems with that. 
well, Mexico uh, uh, prohibited uh, pseudoephedrine in uh, 2006, and that's why uh, the uh, production of methamphetamine in Mexico in uh, 2007 and 2008 uh, was lower. But uh, recently, uh, drug traffickers have uh, discovered that there are some other chemical precursors that uh, can be used to produce methamphetamines, so they continue to produce them. And uh, the states in Mexico that produce the most uh, uh, methamphetamine are Michoacán and Jalisco, the Pacific coast of Mexico. And uh, those, uh, uh, those, uh, that information comes uh, from uh, the uh, United States government. Congressional Research Service, International Narcotics Control Strategy Report, and, uh, and so on. About money laundering, uh, the U.S. says that uh, uh, drug trafficking, Mexican drug trafficking organizations got between uh, 15 and $30 billion from uh, sales in the United States. And according to them, to the U.S. government, most of the proceeds are returned from the U.S. primarily, primarily through bulk currency shipments and launder uh, through legitimate <coughs> Mexican business. I don't know, but uh, that that means that Mexican drug traffic organizations don't leave even a penny, or they don't. Uh, buy even a hamburger in the United States. I mean, it's not uh, very reasonable for drug trafficking organizations to do that, even though they do some, uh, uh, they return uh, some bulk currency to Mexico. I don't think they they do what the U.S. government is, is saying that almost all the profits are returned to Mexico and. Uh, not invested in the in uh, in the United States. Okay. Uh, the number of actors uh, to produce uh, cannabis, according to the ONDCP, uh, Office of National Drug Control Policy from the White House in 2006 were these uh, this figures. And this Mexican official that uh, has been saying things about that since uh, 2006 says that 2 million hectares are cultivated with uh, either cannabis or poppy. In 2007, he said that 6 million hectares, 30% of the, uh, uh, how do you say, tierra cultivable, uh, arable land, is, uh, has been used for that purpose. And in 2009, he talked about 7 million hectares. Well, what does it mean? 
If you compare, according to the World Drug Report 2009, the total number of hectares cultivated with cannabis, coca leaf, and poppy in the whole world are about 1 million hectares and something. So, it has no sense. It has no sense to talk about these figures when you're talking about these figures in the whole world. So, uh, when you are doing research and you hear some uh, Mexican officials saying those, those kind of things, because the role they have in the uh, political structure, most people believe them. But they, they are just saying nonsense. They, it doesn't have, doesn't have any meaning. So you have to be very careful when you hear those uh, Mexican officials or the U.S. government or the Mexican government telling um, what are the figures they are thinking about. And uh, what about the people that uh, they say are linked to the drug business in the whole chain in Mexico. Well, General uh, Galvan, the Secretary of Defense, uh, the Minister of Defense of uh, Mexico, said in 2008 that about half million people were linked to the drug uh, economy in Mexico. Since the drug trafficking leaders to the to the peasants and this uh, American official David T. Johnson talk about 450,000 people linked to the drug business in Mexico 50,000 people less than the figure uh, of General Galvan and uh, this other Mexican official talked about 50,000 uh, uh, indigenous, 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 and linked to the drug business in Mexico. The common thing is that uh, anybody has shown a study where you can see the methodology to calculate, to evaluate these figures. So. Either you believe in those figures or you don't. It's a, it's a kind of, uh, uh, how do you say, in, in Spanish we say, acto de fe. <laughs> it's like uh, religion, you know. You, be you believe it or you don't. <clears throat> well, what are the profits of the Mexican drug trafficking organizations according to the U.S. government? ONDCP said in 2006 that uh, the profits were about $14 uh, billion. In uh, 2000, 2008, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice said that uh, Mexican drug trafficking organizations, Colombian drug trafficking organizations, got between 18 and $39 billion wholesale drug proceeds from the uh, from the U.S. market. And uh, in 2009, one year later, 
Hillary Clinton said in, Mex in Monterrey, Mexico, that uh, they got $25 billion. And uh, again, this guy, David T. Johnson, said uh, the same month that they got between 17 and $38 billion. And another guy from Kroll, the, uh, this uh, enterprise, security enterprise, Kroll, said that they got be between 25 and $40 billion. So you have ONDCP, White House, Department of Justice, Department of State, and Kroll, Mexico. Which figure do you prefer? <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of things we have to uh, really see with the uh, microscope. And in all those cases, we don't know the study where they, they got these figures. So we cannot see the methodology because we don't see, we cannot see the study. Uh, in... Um, in 2006, those were, according to the ONDCP, the, the, the profits of drug trafficking organizations uh, um, in heroin, methamphetamines, cocaine, and uh, cannabis. So you can see that cannabis accounted for more than 60% of the profits of drug traffic, Mexican drug traffic organizations in the United States. It's not cocaine, it's not heroin, it's not methamphetamines, it's cannabis. Or it was until 2006, according to these figures. But uh, we have some uh, statement from the DA saying that uh, it is virtually impossible to differentiate, differentiate the source of the drug money by the type of drugs. So if, if it is uh, virtually impossible, how can you do that kind of, of uh, evaluation? I mean, again, you have some contradictions about the figures. And uh, this uh, Mexican official, the the uh, chief of the uh, federal secur uh, public security uh, office uh, said in 2009 that the profits of drug trafficking organizations in the Mexican market were uh, 400, uh, 4, uh, million uh, million dollars but uh, six months later he doubled the figure and he didn't explain what was the reason according to him those were the, the profits and, uh, from amphetamines, cocaine, heroin uh, cannabis, ecstasy and if we believe in those figures it means that uh, for a strange reason, Mexican consumers consume almost the double just in six months. I mean, 
it's not it's not credible. I mean, it, it hasn't happened anywhere in the world. So we have to explain. He has to explain how he got those, uh, those figures and why, if that is true, what was the reason of that uh, growing in the consumption of these drugs. <clears throat> we can, we have, we have to um, uh, to compare the, 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 these figures with uh, something more uh, uh, specific in terms of in terms of uh, in uh, in the general economic context. For example, this is the. GNP of Mexico in 2009 in uh, millions of dollars, in billions, uh, billions of dollars. And those are the international uh, uh, reserves, we say, in, uh, in economy of Mexico in 2010. The uh, oil exportations, the the money that Mexico received from uh, the migrants working in the United States. Uh, according to the DEA, if you see the DEA uh, website, you're going to find that figure. $65 million dollars, uh, uh, that uh, U.S. consumers uh, expend on, on drugs. And uh, the evaluation made by the RAND Corporation, uh, some uh, uh, researchers like Peter Reuter and, and, and some other colleagues talk about the same figure in 1999. It means that the DA in its website hasn't changed the figure. I mean, it hasn't changed in about how many years? Um, more than 10 years. It's not, it's not credible. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, according to a DEA, this is the, the number, uh, the, the amount of, of dollars, $1 million dollars, from $65 million, if we believe in that, in that uh, number, that uh, are, um, uh, how do you say, the commissars? Seized. That are seized by all the federal agencies in the United States. So how can countries like Mexico or Colombia, are going, how how can they seize more than the United States is not able to seize with all the federal agencies working on that? I mean, if they can seize only $1 million from 65 uh, billion, $1 billion from $65 billion, you can imagine the problem for countries like Mexico or Colombia. And according to Forbes, that... Uh, uh, if we believe in, in that figure, it means that uh, they went to Chapo Guzman's house, and Chapo Guzman sat at the table with them, showed them their accountability books, and 
the, he told him, I, had, I have $1 billion in my pocket or uh, in bank accounts or properties or whatever. So uh, it represents the same amount of money seized by all the federal agencies in one year. And it's a tiny, a little, little, very little part of the general GNP of Mexico. So, and how is Mexico placed uh, among the countries, the consumer countries in the world, compared to, for example, Spain, the United States, Argentina, uh, 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 England, Portugal, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Brazil, uh, the Netherlands, and El Salvador? Well, you have for cannabis, for example, uh, these figures are for for the uh, for the year 2006, and uh, population is uh, age uh, 15 to 64. The consumption of Mexico was of cannabis, according to uh, in proportion of that uh, population, was 3.1, and in Canada was 17. And uh, in the United States, 12.3. It's uh, cannabis consumption is uh, four times uh, four times uh, 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 higher than uh, than in Mexico. And for cocaine, for example, you have uh, 0.8 for Mexico and 2.8 for the United States. And uh, so on for methamphetamines, ecstasies, and uh, opiates. So you can see that uh, compared to Canada or Chile or uh, some other countries, Mexico is placed more or less in the middle. It's not one of the most important uh, cannabis consumers. It's not... Uh, um, but uh, it's not one of the uh, of the uh, less important consumers neither. So, <clears throat> well, this is uh, linked to what uh, I was saying about uh, the the uh, the figures uh, that. Uh, uh, the Minister of uh, Public Security. Oops. If you see cocaine, according to him, Mexican consumers in six months consume three times the amount of cocaine. I mean, they pass from eight tons to 27 tons in six months. I don't know if you can imagine what uh, what it means, but it's, it's just unbelievable, you know? And, uh, well, this, those are the kind of declarations we are used to in, in Mexico. And the problem is that uh, even some researchers, some colleagues... 
believe in those uh, those figures because they don't like numbers, so they just don't make any uh, any uh, uh, multiplications and uh, additions and uh, subtractions and things like that. You know, they just said, "Well, he told he told us that it was true, so we're going to believe him." Uh, and uh, for example, there are some other uh, uh, statements from this uh, this uh, minister that said that uh, there were some uh, more than 1.5 million uh, consumers of cocaine in Mexico and 3 million of cannabis addicts in Mexico. Well, according to the uh, national... Uh, uh, um, inquiry on addictions in Mexico and uh, to the the number of people that declared that once uh, that sometime once once in their lives have used cannabis was three million and something people it doesn't mean they are addicted to cannabis they used it once in, in a lifetime. And people that said, that, uh, that declared that they tried cannabis the last month before the, uh, the survey were about uh, half a million people. And for cocaine, people that declared that they consumed uh, cannabis sometime one one time in their life were one million and, and, and something. It doesn't mean that there there is 1.5 million consumers of cocaine in Mexico, because people that declared that they consumed the last month before the the, uh, the survey were 200,000. So you see the difference between the declarations and the the most important data we have until now from the national uh, survey. If you, if you compare Mexico, if we compare Mexico and the United States in uh, consumption of uh, uh, cannabis and uh, 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 cocaine, according to the national survey in the United States uh, and the national survey in, uh, in Mexico, you can see the differences for cocaine you have people that have declared that they consume cocaine is seven times higher in the United States than in Mexico. And people that declare that uh, uh, they consumed the last month before the survey were uh, three times higher in the United States than in Mexico. And for cannabis, you have ten times more in uh, the United States than in Mexico. And last month, you have ten times more or less also. So, to, is, this, is, uh, this exercise is to see where the business is. I mean, it doesn't mean that the drug traffic organizations don't get anything from the Mexican market or that they are fighting each other because they are fighting for the Mexican market. 
the main profits are in the United States, not in Mexico. It doesn't mean they don't do profits in Mexico. Well, in terms of the changes in the political field in Mexico, for example, you have that uh, since the beginning of the drug trafficking field in Mexico, uh, the drug trafficking field was uh, subordinated to the drug uh, to the political field in Mexico. Since the revolution, there were some, uh, for example, uh, prohibitions in uh, about uh, opium. Uh, opiates and uh, cocaine in the United States began in 1914 with the Harrison Narcotic Act. In that year, Mexico uh, was having a revolution. So it was not uh, uh, possible in Mexico to apply the same laws that uh, you had here in the United States. But uh, drug traffickers began in Mexico, there were uh, regular uh, merchants, or they do it legally. Legally, in the United States, once they crossed the border, they were criminals because of the Harrison Narcotic Act. So they began to uh, to do this uh, this kind of business. That was the beginning of the drug trafficking uh, business in uh, in Mexico. But in Mexico, it was not uh, prohibited until the 1920s, once the Mexican Revolution ended. So the first regulation was against cannabis in 1920, and the second one was against poppy in 1926. So that was the beginning of the drug trafficking field in Mexico, or the transporter field of drug trafficking, U.S.-Mexico. And that was the beginning of the drug traffickers in Mexico. And since those years, we have some, uh, 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 according to the uh, National Archive sources in the United States and in Mexico, we have links, uh, we see links from uh, the political field to the drug trafficking business, but in a subordinated way. It means that the drug trafficking field was subordinated to the political field. And the political structure that was created after the revolution permitted that kind of subordination. There was a concentration of power in the figure of the president, uh, the creation of an army issued from the Mexican Revolution, popular from the popular origin, and the kind of uh, institutions that were created to mediate between the drug trafficking field and the, uh, the political field. Well, they were not created to mediate only between them, but to control the political opposition and to punish, or to, uh, uh, not punish, to uh, 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 to fight against the political opposition. And uh, we have some uh, examples of uh, uh, certain violence related to uh, drug trafficking in uh, Chihuahua, Baja California, and Sinaloa since the 1930s. And uh, 
uh, some military and politicians and drug traffickers were involved. That was not uh, a rule. I mean, that was the exception. It was not, drug trafficking and violence were not linked uh, automatically in Mexico. Why? Because the political field had the power to control this kind of violence with the kind of institutions they had. So if you were a, if you were a trafficker, for example, drug trafficker, if you wanted to do business, you couldn't do it outside this, uh, this uh, political field, this uh, political uh, uh, structure. In uh, 1947, uh, for example, in this, uh, in this period, since the end of the Mexican Revolution to, the, to 1947, uh, the, role, the role of the, of the local gov of the governors was very important because the links between drug traffickers, I mean, the business was not as, as, as profitable as it is now, but it was uh, profitable enough to uh, get some politicians involved in the controlling of, the, of that kind of business. So uh, governors were very important. The chief of police that was uh, sometimes was the compadre of the uh, governor or his brother or uh, his friend or whatever. And uh, the, uh, uh, the secretary of uh, uh, we say in Mexico, the Secretario de Gobierno, I mean, the, the, the most important political figure after the governor in the political structure in, in Mexico. Well, those were the guys that were doing the, the business for, for their own profit and for the profit of some governors. Some, I said some and not all of them. But because that political structure permitted that kind of business. It doesn't mean that everybody did this kind of business. There were some governors that were more uh, flexible in, in ethical terms, if I, if I can say that, and uh, they, they did this kind of business. And we have to say that uh, the poppy fields, uh, because at the beginning was uh, mostly poppy fields, not cannabis fields, were uh, concentrated in the states of uh, Sonora, Sinaloa, Chihuahua, and Durango, the northwestern north part of Mexico. That's why, uh, since the beginning, uh, most of the leadership of the drug trafficking business came from uh, these uh, states, particularly from uh, Sinaloa. In 1947, uh, there were some uh, important changes in the, in the uh, political structure in Mexico related to uh, 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 drug policy. For example, uh, before 1947, uh, the authority uh, for drug policy was in the hands of the Ministry of Health. And after 47, uh, this authority, uh, the authority uh, passed to the uh, uh, Procuraduría General de la República, the PGR. And 
1947 was created uh, uh, the, this uh, this institution is the very important institution in the in the political structure in Mexico, Dirección Federal de Seguridad, the Federal Direction of Security. So uh, was more like uh, Mexican KGB, more or less. I mean, uh, it was. It represented the the uh, police and uh, the political police institution that was uh, uh, directly linked to the president. It was used to uh, control uh, uh, illegal business and against the political opposition. And that was uh, the, the agency that was in, uh, in, uh, in relation with the CIA in the United States against uh, the fighting of uh, communist uh, organizations and, and things like that. And these guys from the Dirección Federal de Seguridad, okay. and they're going to play a very important role in the mediation between the political field and the drug trafficking field. When the Mexican state, that Mexican state, that authoritarian Mexican state wanted to do something against the political opposition or against against the drug traffickers, they used uh, the guys from the DFS. They had uh, three choices, I mean drug traffickers, uh, getting out of business, uh, going to prison or going I don't know how, no, how many feet under the, uh, or being killed so they knew that uh, this uh, the power of the state that kind of a state was so terrible that they didn't want to get killed so they was they were uh, that was a kind of extortion from the state to uh, impose to drug traffickers. Yeah. And in the 1960s, as you all know, there were some uh, uh, cultural changes in uh, some parts of the world, especially in the United States, but in Europe also. Some uh, student movements, uh, Vietnam War and contraculture, cultural uh, uh, Movements and things like that, and the uh, the cannabis market grow grew in a in a in a way that nobody expected uh, at that time, and uh, we can see at that time in Mexico, for example, the the fighting between between some drug trafficking organizations that were uh, we have to say that uh, most uh, I would say most of the drug traffic organizations that at that time were from Sinaloa. The Sinaloa coalition of drug traffic organizations was a hegemonic group in the whole uh, drug trafficking field in Mexico. 
And uh, because of the growing of the drug market at that time and the beginning of the drug violence between drug traffickers, especially in the state of Sinaloa, the, in Mexico, uh, there was uh, the go Mexican government launched uh, a special military uh, operation called Operation Condor from uh, since uh, from 1975 to 1978. That was the first military and uh, big military operation against drugs in Mexico or in. In, even in the whole uh, in, in, in Latin America after Operation Condor we have we have uh, we had uh, Operación Fulminante in Colombia and the operation was more or less similar to that uh, launched in uh, Mexico about 10,000 military were sent to the Triangle of Sinaloa, Chihuahua, and Durango. And about 10,000 military were sent to La Guajira in uh, northern Colombia to destroy the cannabis fields in, uh, in that part of, uh, of Colombia. So the first essay of a uh, big military operation against drugs in uh, Latin America was launched in, uh, in Mexico in those years. The breaking point of this kind of uh, control and this kind of uh, uh, structure and uh, uh, subordination of the drug trafficking field to the drug politic uh, to the political field, uh, the breaking point uh, for me was uh, uh, in the middle of the 1980s. What was happening in the middle of the 1980s? Well, uh, what I was called the authoritarian security, uh, how do you say, a la deriva? Yes, okay, drifted away. Why? There was the DA agent, Enrique Camarena, that was killed in Mexico, in Guadalajara, in 1985, that changed some of, some of the uh, relations between the United States and Mexico in, uh, in, uh, in the, uh, drug policy and that was the end of the DFS because of the Camarena case why? because those guys were protecting drug trafficking organizations I mean they were not acting by themselves they were acting because they were a part of the political structure of that authoritarian state. But the political pressure put on Mexico for, from uh, the U.S. government was so uh, so tough that uh, the Mexican government uh, had to disappear uh, the most important political and police, uh, police organization that uh, they have. So that's why the authoritarian security was drifted away. Uh, one of the reasons, but a very important structural reason why it was, uh, there was a change in the, in the kind of control that the Mexican government used to have 
uh, all drug trafficking organizations. And uh, there were also some reconfigura political reconfigura reconfigurations in the political field in Mexico that explain also why the, the, the changes in the Mexican state and the political field that uh, had uh, some influence in the changes between the, the relationship between the drug trafficking field and the political field. For example, you had in Baja California in 1989 the first, the first government of the uh, political opposition. And, and after that, you had Chihuahua in 1992, uh, Jalisco in 1995, Distrito Federal in 1997. In 1997, that was uh, the first time in that year, the first time that the PRI lost the, the majority uh, uh, of the, uh, uh, the Congress, in, in the Congress of the Union. For the first time since uh, the, the end of the Mexican Revolution, they, uh, they lost the majority. And in Michoacán, there was, was a change of government in 2002 and Guerrero in 2005 and, and so on. So what does it mean, the, uh, that change in the political power? That the whole structure that, use, that we used to have in Mexico, the whole authoritarian political structure was collapsing was collapsing and that was, uh, we had, we began to have uh, a kind of, uh, um, uh, how do you say, uh, fragmentation of power, fragmentation of political power, and each political party in each region where they got, uh, where they got those, uh, positions of power, like uh, governors, they began to change the security structure at the local level because they wanted their own guys to be uh, at the head of the police and uh, some other, some other post, uh, places in the, in the local uh, political structure. So you had... You had uh, the federal, the federal government that had a uh, uh, certain directive uh, on drugs, for example, against drug traffickers or whatever, but you had some other political interests in these regions. And these guys, these political parties, didn't want to do, uh, to, uh, uh, didn't want to do the same thing that the, the federal government wanted to do. So there were some, uh, 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 how do you say in English, short, short circuits? Short circuits everywhere. Uh, the local level, municipal level, federal level. So, uh, and the political parties didn't, uh, 
didn't they didn't make they didn't make any uh, political pact to uh, to uh, for the political transition that we were uh, having in, in Mexico, and uh, at the same time, you had, for example, some uh, drug trafficking organizations and leaderships uh, that were in some parts of Mexico. Baja California, for example, you had the Arellano brothers, Chihuahua, los uh, Carrillo Frente, Fuentes brothers, Tamaulipas, the leadership of Osiel Cárdenas, and this is going to be very important. For example, uh, the hegemonic group in uh, historical terms were the guys from uh, Sinaloa, but in the, in the Salinas, uh, the Gortari period, one group, the group of Tamaulipas, emerged like uh, like a miracle. And uh, before Osiel Cárdenas, uh, Juan García Abrego was the leader of uh, the Tamaulipas group. And the most important uh, uh, police uh, operator operator of the Salinas administration was uh, Commander uh, Guillermo González Calderoni. He was the leader against uh, uh, inviting uh, other uh, leaders of the Sinaloa drug traffic organizations and their associates. He was behind the operation uh, to uh, apprehend uh, Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo, who was the leader of the Sinaloa coalition. Uh, the uh, Herrera. Uh, the Herrera brothers from uh, Durango, the most important heroin traffickers to, to, the, to the United States. Uh, he was behind the operation against uh, Pablo Acosta, the most important cocaine trafficker associate, associated to the Sinaloans in Ojinaga, Chihuahua, and, uh, uh, and some others. So, and uh, when uh, uh, Juan García Abreu was extradited to the United States. Uh, this guy, Osiel Cárdenas, that uh, was in prison in the United States and was released one year after he got the leadership of this uh, organization from Tamaulipas. And he introduced some uh, new elements in the field of drug trafficking that didn't exist before in Mexico. And it's, it, it's, it, it is very important. Uh, uh, a uh, special military group trained in counterinsurgency in Mexico that was uh, uh, created at the end, uh, well, not at the end, at the, uh, in the middle of the, of the uh, Cedillo administration, the last uh, PRI administration before uh, Fox got to power. Uh, they were created in those years, and they were sent to Tamaulipas to fight against uh, the guys... Uh, from Osiel Cárdenas, but they were co-opted by Osiel Cárdenas. And that was the beginning of the uh, paramilitarism linked to drug trafficking in Mexico. It didn't exist. I mean, they had some uh, uh, groups. Uh, every uh, uh, drug trafficking organization in Mexico had uh, killers, I mean, usual, usual killers, not uh, with a, a military training, but this guy, 
these guys were trained, highly trained, uh, and they were co-opted by this, uh, this guy. And he began to, uh, to develop some uh, mafia-style strategies, like extortion, kidnapping, uh, and trying to control the, the piracy uh, market also, and uh, territorial control, uh, etc., etc. So, and he was uh, a very populist guy. I mean, uh, uh, PRI, it, uh, uh, politicians from the PRI, and uh, some, some other, some more than others, were uh, were uh, uh, a very good example of, of, of populism. Well, Osiel Cárdenas uh, concentrated those three aspects. He introduced paramilitarism, the mafia-style strategies, and populist strategies in the region of Tamaulipas, controlled by the PRI, and, uh, and uh, people linked to the Salinas uh, group, polit political group. And uh, Sinaloa, where uh, Chapo Guzman, Mario Zambán, Nacho Coronel, and the Beltrán Leyva brothers. They used to work together. They are not working together. The Beltrán Leyva brothers are, uh, well, these guys are together, but the Beltrán Leyva brothers are separated, and they are fighting each other. <coughs> well, in uh, 2000, we have, we had, uh, uh, the Fox, uh, the PAN, uh, won the presidency in Mexico, Fox administration. And there were some, uh, some elements, uh, important elements uh, to, uh, uh, to retain in, uh, for this administration. The, uh, the escape of uh, Chapo Guzman in 2001, uh, more militaries or uh, a general at the head of the PGR, and uh, he called some other military uh, friends to uh, for uh, 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 for some important uh, uh, places in the, the PGR, and the capture of uh, some important leaders like uh, Benjamin Arellano in 2002 and Osiel Cárdenas in 2003. Uh, Osiel Cárdenas uh, was extradited by uh, Calderón administration at the beginning of his administration. And uh, his, uh, Benjamin Ayan is waiting for to be extradited. And that was the big, uh, in 2005, at the end of the Fox administration, uh, things in, uh, I mean, the situation in Nuevo Laredo, the violent situation in Nuevo Laredo, uh, and the political pressure of the United States because it was closed I mean it was uh, uh, close to the uh, was the border with the United States uh, with that kind of uh, pressure and the situation of violence uh, the Fox administration decided to send a, uh, a group of, uh, of military to Nuevo Laredo to try to pacify uh, the city so, as you can see, for example, the, the military uh, 
the military in a, at the head of the of the drug trafficking uh, uh, at the head of, of fighting the drug traffic organizations. Uh, the beginning was in the in the uh, Cedillo administration, but uh, not in the same uh, in the same terms as uh, we are seeing it now, or as uh, as it was uh, in the Fox under the Fox administration. I have to say that the first time that the military uh, uh, were sent to fight. Uh, or to destroy drug trafficking fields was in 1938 uh, against uh, to destroy poppy fields in the state of Sonora. That was the first time that the U.S. government uh, realized that uh, the military was uh, were uh, used to to destroy uh, poppy fields in Mexico. And since that time, they are they were doing the same kind of thing. I mean, destroying poppy fields or cannabis fields, but not uh, doing uh, the kind of work they are doing right now. Well, what are the, the actual tendencies? We can say that there are some strategies of recuperation of the authority of the state. You had Plan Colombia since uh, 2000. And one of the things we can see uh, in Plan Colombia is that the market and politics are separated. I mean, what you do in politics against drugs is not, uh, you cannot see uh, a direct implication in the drug market. All the things that Colombia has done, all the things that Mexico has done against drug traffickers, uh, drug uh, uh, production hasn't do almost anything to the drug market, the world drug market, or to the drug market in the United States. That to talk about the the whole drug market. So you can do, uh, you can say that uh, since 1909 was the Shanghai uh, conference was the beginning of the international uh, prohibition uh, uh, structure, legal structure in the whole world. So we had we had a century of drug prohibition, and we haven't seen any. Uh, we haven't seen. We haven't uh, uh, accomplished any of the objectives uh, that uh, were. Uh, the, the, the most important objectives since the beginning of, of, of that conference. To reduce production, to reduce consumption, and to reduce the number of, of, uh, of uh, people uh, doing this kind of, of business. What we have seen is the country. So you can see that politics is going one way and drug market is going in another way. Separated. So uh, in Mexico, for example, since uh, 2006 with the uh, Calderon administration, you have uh, how you reconstruct the state 
the, the institutions of the state or what kind of state do you want to, to create and the power of the criminal organizations, especially drug trafficking organizations that are the most important organizations in the whole uh, criminal uh, field. You have the criminal field and in the criminal field you have drug trafficking organizations as the most important uh, organizations, more powerful. And uh, you have the reconfiguration of coalitions of drug traffickers and the fight for hegemony. When you had the authoritarian state, the, hemo the he hegemony, uh, the state has had, had the power to uh, uh, contain and control drug traffickers and political opposition and so on. In the transition and the new reconfiguration of the political power in Mexico, you don't have the same kind of power. I mean, the central government doesn't have the same kind of power. So the, the referee in the, this uh, authoritarian state was the state. He had the power to do that. In the transition, the state has lost that capacity. So we are trying, we are trying to uh, uh, to create uh, the institutions and in uh, the kind of institutions that can be used to uh, not to eradicate the drug trafficking problem, but to contain the violence created but, but by, by this, uh, these uh, drug trafficking organizations. So you have the, this reconfiguration of coalitions of tr drug traffickers and the fight for hegemony and uh, the confrontation among the drug trafficking organizations and the confrontation between the uh, uh, the uh, security institutions and drug trafficking organizations. And you have uh, the participation of military in the, uh, the fighting of drug trafficking in some parts of the country. You have some operations of the military in some regions. And <clears throat> in the terms of the um, the reforms that uh, the Mexican government has done is on security and justice. Uh, and you have some other uh, uh, law initiatives like the initiative on, on national security that was sent by the federal government last year and hasn't, hasn't been discussed in, uh, in the Congress because of different political interests among the political parties. And this is the kind of reforms that uh, we need in order uh, to get some order in the, in the, the Mexican institutions uh, right now. Uh, there were some uh, uh, reforms on the on police. Uh, the, this uh, federal police uh, right now is the federal police, but uh, 
they had uh, it had some other names like uh, Agencia Federal de Investigaciones, uh, Policía Federal Preventiva, and right now it's Policía Federal. And we are and the last uh, uh, meeting had by uh, that uh, the governors had a uh, few days ago. They agreed on one thing that uh, to eliminate the uh, municipal uh, police institutions and uh, to, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to have only uh, three, 31 uh, local police structures, I mean, each uh, uh, state of the union with its own police and the federal police. And uh, some people say, well, it's, uh, uh, it's an agreement, but it hasn't been approved yet by the, by the Congress. And, but it's, uh, it might be important or might be interesting, but we are going to see the kind of problems that we might have if, does, if that kind of things uh, are, are uh, accomplished. And we have the Merida Initiative. Uh, uh, according to the uh, Calderon administration, uh, it was the Mexican government that asked the U.S. government to help them in uh, uh, in some uh, technical and uh, intelligence and training and uh, technology aspects. And uh, uh, most of the of the money of uh, the Marine Initiative is going to the military and the police, the federal police, at the beginning. And uh, recently, uh, the visit of Hillary Clinton and the Dream Team to Mexico City, uh, they were talking about uh, Marine Initiative 2.0. It means like that uh, the kind of uh, assistance they are giving to the military and the federal police is uh, going to be reduced, and that they are going to they are thinking about uh, investing more in uh, uh, training and uh, some other um, uh, aspects, not only of the. Uh, um, how do you say punitivo in English? Punitive, not, not only the punitive uh, aspect of the, of the assistance, but uh, to equilibrate the, the, uh, the, the funding. <coughs> okay. How is the actual reconfiguration of the political field in Mexico? For example, the, recent, the, the most recent elections in, uh, 19, in 2009, uh, the political party that has the most uh, governors in Mexico is the PRI. With, uh, they have uh, 19 governors and uh, 921 uh, municipalities. Uh, 
the PAN has uh, seven governors and the PRD six governors. Where? Green is PRI, blue is PAN, and uh, yellow is PRD. As you can see, the only uh, states, the border states that are that are ruled by the PAN are Baja California Sonora and PRD Chiapas. All the other states, most of the most important northern states and the Gulf Coast and the Pacific Coast is governed by the PRI. So you can figure, for example, the introduction of cocaine coming from South America is coming from here, is getting to Mexico from here, here, all the coast, the Mexico, the Gulf Coast, and it goes to the United States. So if you are a drug trafficker and you need protection, are you going to ask for protection or to impose? So, how are the, the drug trafficking coalitions? Uh, it was uh, in January of this year. Those were the coalitions in January of 2010, according to uh, the Ministry of Defense. Organization from Sinaloa, Chapo Guzman and Associates, Camila uh, Michoacana, guys from Valencia Brothers of Polito uh, Jalisco, and this, uh, those guys that were separated from the uh, Arellano Calix organization in Tijuana, and the Oro Asilo Occidental and his associates that were captured recently in Mexico. And the, uh, the coalition number two, the Arellano Calix Brothers in Tijuana, the Brian Labor Brothers, separated from the, uh, those guys, and Camino Fuentes, and the Zetas. We have to say that the Camino Fuentes, Fernando Neymar, Joaquin Guzman, 
are the territories uh, that they are fighting for, according to that information. It's not all the territories, uh, there are some others, but recently we have associates against the Evangelics in uh, Tijuana and uh, against Cabello Puentes in Ciudad Juárez. Well, those are the findings that we are getting. We have heard almost or you are hearing almost every day in Mexico here in the United States. So uh, those are the political parties that uh, rule in some state in say that it's only a problem with the federal government, with the central government, because it used to be a problem 
Those are the new electoral alliances from 2010. We are going to have these uh, elections uh, this year. So the thing here is to uh, uh, that all the, po the political positions that the PRI has right now, they are trying that to reduce the possibilities of the PRI to get more power in more parts of the country. So. That's why you have uh, in the, uh, the places for the PAN <coughs> has the power. You have alliances between PRI, PNN, etc., and some other alliances against the PAN. And against the PRI, you have Thank you. 
see the political parties, you're going to see the Greens are PRI, the yellow, PRB, and the blue, PFM. So the drug that is coming from South America is going to be introduced by mostly by by team, and by by land to Central America. There are there, there are some uh, uh, some amounts of drugs that are being Central America, but most of the, of the of the drug that comes from South America uh, is introduced to Mexico by uh, by sea. So we have the same problem here. For example, the Lazaro Cárdenas port is the PRD here, and in Michoacán is the PRD, and the only. doesn't mean that they are example, uh, these guys uh, from Sinaloa, they are linked to uh, Nueva Generación, uh, and you have the places in Colombia, Nariño, Cauca, Norte de Santander, Sur de Bolívar, and Corras uh, Trocos, Valle del Cauca, Chocó, Norte de Santander, Sur de Bolívar, and Ejército Revolucionario Popular y Terrorista Colombiano.
was the information uh, from the uh, national, uh, Colombian National Police uh, that was uh, reproduced by a vehicle uh, in September, I guess, uh, last year. And uh, you have the Tijuana guys, guys uh, that are linked close to the park, from some uh, groups of the park in different regions, and Corpus Ecos from Curabaya. Brothers, uh, Los Paisas, and some others with uh, some other, uh, I insist, either Carly, Guerrilla, or Traquetos, uh, the usual Traquetos. the radical way the drug policy that exists today in the whole world. But for that, you, have, you need to have a, a, a United Nations General Assembly that takes place every three years. And last, the last one was last year, 2009, 100 years after the beginning of the prohibition. The results of the that General Assembly were not so uh, uh, so good for uh, for people who want that uh, those this uh, scenario change in a radical way. They continue to do all of the same things. They have changed uh, a bit. In the United States, we have a lot of administration. So uh, ONGs, uh, liberal ONGs. the radical way that drug policy uh, exists today is uh, very difficult. And it can come to take place tomorrow or in the short term. So it's uh, for a political leader, it's, it's not the thing that you can count on in the, in the short term. So, and the other one is laissez uh, uh, faire that uh, in, a, in a short time, you're going to have the, 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 the predominance of drug trafficking organizations and not the political structure, the lack of political structure, or the national political structure. So uh, it means that the uh, drug traffickers are going to hold of the kind 
third thing is to, uh, to get an agreement between the drug trafficking field and uh, the political field, or at the local level, local politicians, local political structure, structures with uh, drug trafficking organizations working at the local level. Okay. What, what is going to be expect, expected in that kind of agreement? A kind of a tax mafioso. And uh, you have to have confidence in a kind of a pact of the gentleman. The problem is that there are no gentlemen in either side. Political figure are no gentlemen, and drug trafficking field people. So uh, when you do that, you recognize politically drug trafficking organizations, and you will recognize them as a, as a uh, political actor. Uh, one is going to be negotiated with two people, one. And who is going to guarantee the accomplishment of the agreements? I mean, that's a big problem to, you know, to think about if you do that kind of and the third one, the fourth one, is to create a state security policy. State security policy. It means that all the political parties are seated at the table and in place of the green in terms of security and the consolidation of the democratic institutions in the security. Census. Everybody, maybe everybody, as we could say in the, the maps I, I show you, that they all have political responsibility in the creation of the security, and the establishment of the establishment of the condition of security in the regions that they are uh, in position of power. So it could be the, the strength of the democratic institutions. And in, in that scenario, you can discuss in, more, uh, in a more, uh, uh, I would say, normal way, in a regular way, reasonable way, uh, some uh, progressive uh, criminalization of uh, certain crimes. It doesn't mean that you have to wait those conditions are accomplished to do that. You can do it anyway. But if you met those conditions, the, that condition is going to be more, I mean, states are going to be more flexible, or political agents are going to be more flexible to think and discuss about that. And finally, you have a very big initiative for 2.0. Conditions. In what conditions would you have the kind of problems or violence and the, the, the lack of control of violence by uh, the central government? And I don't, and I don't 
what conditions? I mean, the weakness of the Mexican state vis-a-vis -vis the United States or the States going to put more pressure on Mexico in order that those security US agencies have more power to do what they want in Mexico against those countries. And either it could mean in the short term because of the Side of the of, uh, of the border, so uh, it could be. I mean, in terms of uh, reducing violence, can have some uh, some uh, could have some uh, some uh, results. Uh, in terms of uh, reducing uh, consumption, production, etc., etc., I don't think it's going to be any any change any change or more spectacular changes that we haven't seen in the Sit down 
we can't have lunch without eating anything else. And uh, we can continue the conversation for, with, uh, with, with all of you who want to participate in a more informal.